Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a run strength guild. I'm a powerlifter, an Island Games athlete, and that's about it. This is Dr. Mike Nelson, faculty member at the Kerrigan Institute, creator of the Flex Diet, CERT, and bunch of other stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know once you you're at something for decades it's just like it's almost hard to force yourself to go through the list (laughs) yeah well no one wants to hear a list of like eight items no yeah it's not a resume it's just everybody if you're fairly new we run through this list i i actually picked this up many years ago off a completely unrelated podcast so you know who you're listening to right we're not just excited uh, local gym goers, and this is you know year number two of our experience with the weights. We've been at it for a while, uh, and so segue. Today's episode is actually going to be after the break uh, challenges we faced when we were twenty years old versus today. So if again, if you're new, we're all forty somethings. I'm actually I just pissed past the uh, pissed <laughs> the, <laughs> the fifty year mark. So. Yeah, we're we're not kids anymore, but we're going to talk about like what were our biggest challenges when we were twenty versus now. Uh, in any case, uh, I'd like to start with a couple of iTunes reviews. We haven't done this for ages, and I just want to give a little call out because Iron Radio is, of course, free. It's listener supported, and we're very grateful for the people who do that. But it, the point is to give back and to be free for everyone. But one of the ways that you can support the show without your pocketbook at all is to make an iTunes review because oftentimes other podcast sites will kind of swipe the reviews and the other stuff from iTunes, right? So uh, it's just very helpful. So think about that if you would, uh, making a a review. Before we hit record, actually, the three of us were just talking about how there are a lot of, uh, you know, on YouTube, it's like, make sure you like and subscribe or if they do a podcast, they say, be sure to leave a five-star review. Well, I want you to leave a real review. The point of a review <laughs> is to review. <laughs> so um, if we suck, let us know. Yeah, I mean, and then we'll change what sucks. Uh, now, having said that, I like four and five-star reviews, but in any case, let me just read a couple of these because I haven't lately been remiss. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Perfect mix, not total meathead, nor egghead. This is by McKechid. says, I'm so glad I found the podcast about a year ago. 
I'm new. I'm a newly certified personal trainer as well as a pre-med student. So I love how this show caters to multiple aspects of what I'm interested in. Uh, I was wondering if you guys, if you haven't already, could do an episode on recovery. Oh, yeah, we've done that. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to. <laughs> you could Google that in the 10-year archives or go to ironradio.org, uh, my man. Uh, it says, stretching foam rolling in particular as far as the recovery aid. Oh, so he's actually making a request here. Um, I, we have talked about the overused of personal foam rollers and that sort of thing. But, uh, Mike, have you seen any research lately about, you know, foam rolling and, I don't know, physical manipulation and recovery? Yeah. I haven't looked at it too much. I looked at it uh, just a brief overview a couple of weeks ago, and mm, I don't know. Like, I'm not super impressed by it. I think that, you know, compared to nothing, it can be beneficial. And there are circumstances where just getting more movement or mobility or I don't know, whatever word you want to toss in there, I think is definitely helpful, but I don't know. I mean, outside of that, I just, eh. <laughs> I'm yeah. not a big fan of foam rollers, I guess. I just think there's other things you can do that are more effective for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, the, um, the parallel with a lot of nutritional supplements is, is similar, right? There's so many things people waste huge amounts of time on that are marginally helpful, when they could be doing something yeah. with much more impact, you know. Uh, we have talked about, I mean, what I do personally is I do some reflexive performance reset on myself. And then I have one of the massage guns I've been playing around with. So I'll do that on a few specific areas afterwards. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's about it. You know, start with your warm up, get some good movement in and just slowly work up to your working sets. Yeah. Something feels off, then yeah, you might need to get a little bit more specific at that point. Right on. Yeah, he said at the end here, I've heard very contradictory things regarding uh, foam rolling and, and recovery, and I would love it if you could share, shed some light on the subject. Thanks again for all you do. So, um, next one is from Joey T1501. Perfect balance of science and experience. These guys have the education and practical knowledge to cut through the BS in the news and social media uh, to provide real, useful lifting and nutrition advice. I haven't missed an episode in five years. And they never miss it. Wow, week. that's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and I appreciate that, Joey, that you say we never miss a week. Because, damn it, we are not going to miss a week. It's like it's the golden rule, right? I'd rather bore your ass off for 20 minutes on Christmas Eve, <laughs> right, than to miss <laughs> than to miss one. Um, this next one says, start Mondays right. This is by C. Marzarella. Uh, this is my go-to podcast every Monday morning as I drive to my first client's house. The cast is knowledgeable, funny, and wise. The information makes me delve in deeper after listening to it and to find out more about what they were talking about that day. Keep up the great work, guys. Bring back Fortress. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, I, I, I think that's kind of the point, isn't it, of like a talk show is to get you thinking about something that maybe you, you wouldn't have or, or dig deeper. You know, all, all three of us will be like, well, go look this up. You know, here's a link or point you to more info if you want, you know. So it's kind of the, the idea of evidence-based, I guess. Uh, one more. Uh, this is by Tech EG. Life-changing. I don't write iTunes reviews, but this podcast compelled me. The amount of useful information contained within this archive dating back for years is astounding. I was an untrained couch potato until I recently needed a change for health reasons. I was thirsty for real knowledge, not bro science. If you want to get big and strong, listen to these podcasts. Really. 
So that was nice too. So, very nice. Anyway, so I appreciate that, uh, you guys. Those are all from actually from 2019. We need to get some uh, more recent ones. I think the funny thing is the older the show gets, you, actually our number of reviews will go down because people have already made reviews after hundreds mm-hmm. of reviews. You know, um, In any case, it's appreciated. And I also wanted to give a shout-out to Jake. Um, Jake is a behind-the-scenes guy, and I don't think we've mentioned this on air before, but – He's building um, sort of an ironradio.org 2.0 for us. Uh, he's ran into some issues with servers deciding to close on him and stuff like that. You know, the usual uh, BS. But I'm excited to see what he comes up with. Phil made us some nice uh, new like uh, graphics and stuff that's making its way onto shirts and all kinds of things. And so it'll be nice to have a more modern website. Um, so I appreciate that, Jake. Just a shout out to you, bro. Okay, a little bit of news. This one is from the Institute of Food Technologists. I need to renew my membership with these guys. Almost 50% of U.S. adults will be obese by 2030. Wow. So in the next 10 years, half of everybody, not just overweight, obese. Um, About half of the U.S. adult population will have obesity, uh, and about a quarter will have severe obesity. Uh, by 2030, according to a study led by uh, Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and appearing in the New England Journal of Medicine. So the researchers apparently are using a self-reported body mass index um, from more than 6.2 million adults. Now, at first I raised an eyebrow, self-reported BMI, but it says uh, because they know basically that self-reports are biased often, uh, they use novel statistical methods to correct for this. I don't know how you mm. would do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I mean, because like, it's like a diet record, right? Like somebody turns in something. I'm like, you don't eat this. Like this is your this makes you look like a paragon of virtue. You know, uh, yeah. I don't know how I would correct for dishonest raw data. Right. But maybe they can. I don't know. Hmm. Um. Using the data, they projected that by 2030, 48.9% will have obesity. Uh, And obesity rates will not be below 35% in any state in the U.S. So even the leanest states are going to have 35% obesity. Uh, I think Colorado is very near the top for the leanest. I think they cheat, though, because they live at altitude. Yeah. Sunny, live at altitude, right? Cheaters. Um, (laughs) Anyway. Um, yeah, not below 35% in any state. Nearly one in four adults are projected to have severe obesity by 2030. And that's interesting because I've seen data that about 25 to 33% right now are just in the obese category. Now they're talking about kicking that similar number up to the severe obesity. Uh, it says severe obesity will likely be the most common body mass index category for women for non-Hispanic black adults, and for those with annual incomes below 50000 a year. And that last one is a real kind of eye-opener, isn't it? Like money yeah. plays a role uh, with a lot of this. I don't want people to think eating healthy has to be expensive. There's lots of things you can do, like dry beans and rice and stuff like that. But if you want to have all the normal things, tasty, healthier equivalents to your normal foods, yeah, that can get costly. 
you know, when we had the keto guys on recently, I, it made me think about that. I didn't bring it up at the time, but um, there, he's like, you eat all the same things you normally eat. You just eat special versions of it. And I'm thinking, well, that's where it gets expensive. Like if you want no carb brownies, well, brownies are made out of sugar and wheat, you know, mm-hmm. so that's where things are going to get more expensive. Uh, but anyway, yeah, under 50,000. Um, you're going to expect most of the people you meet, you know, to be obese or super obese. Um, it says, of course, this has substantial <clears throat> implications for fu- future Medicaid costs, uh, according to lead author Zachary Ward. Uh, and I think people need to think about that, too, sometimes. There's a real monetary cost uh, because obesity is not just aesthetic, of course. Uh, but even there's even national security implications for this, right? Think about yeah. if there's a draft and – Everybody is so over fat that they can't walk a block. I mean, that's that's literally becomes a social, a national security issue, and that's the kind of stuff you don't think about, right? When everybody, when this many people are overweight or obese or even morbidly obese, it's, it, there's economic and and even national security concerns. Then we're way too fat, and that kind of that, that's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the presentation of the CDC. You can get it on their website where they show all the states changing color through the years as they become more and more obese. And then, unfortunately, you see them have to add new categories <laughs> because they right. maxed out the previous obese category. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. A new color, right? Yeah, on the yep. map. <laughs> like, we, yep. we need purple now because we've gone through all the shades of blue, you know? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And of course, I know our listeners are like, well, wait, you know, you guys know BMI is not body comp. Yes, we do. I mean, most of you guys, meaning you listeners, yeah, you're heavy for your height. I mean, Christ, I think all of us have body mass indexes probably at least hovering around the obese category, you know, 29, 30, something like that. And again, it's yeah. weight for height, right? Everybody knows that. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we're a drop in the bucket, right? We're not talking about that. Um, we're talking about you know, giant buckets of chili cheese fries. That's what we're talking about here. Um, one more. Can I eat this donut? And I, I'd like to get your guys' input on this yes. one. Yes. Oh, um, wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, wait. You got to wait, Mike, <laughs> for all the info. Uh, it says, a quick test for celiac disease. So it says, genetic testing revealed that our ancestors have been eating wheat, rye, spelt, and barley for over 8,000 years. Now, that's partly what grabbed my attention, right? Because when we were laughing the other day about how people really, they don't understand what paleo means, this might be a good example, right? Like, I'm not going to touch anything that's, um, you know, like bread or gluten, and then they conflate that with paleo, or they, they combine these diets, you know? So over <coughs> 8,000 years, it says, today, gluten, a protein found within these grains that gives baked goods their chewy consistency, has been given a bad rap. Uh, there are controversial claims that maintaining a gluten-free diet is healthier and not just for those with sensitivities or allergies. Uh, so I'm just going to skip through a little bit of this. There's a video I can point everybody to. This is uh, on uh, labroots.com. Celiac disease is a hereditary autoimmune disorder uh, in which, co- of course, consuming gliadin, right, that protein in gluten, triggers inflammation in your small intestine. Um, the problem is the symptoms vary widely. They overlap with other digestive issues like a more global wheat allergy or, or even IBS, right? Irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, women have more issues with IBS than men do, but it's obviously not just a gender thing. But it gets confusing, right? So they go on to say that as a result, 
over 90% of those with real celiac disease remain undiagnosed. And of course, that's very dangerous because there's long-term effects of having all of those gastric you know, um, signs and symptoms. Uh, anyway, the current diagnostic, diagnostic protocol for celiac uh, is an antibody-based assay, and they even give a link here to you could look it up, uh, in which blood samples are screened for high levels of tissue transglutaminase IgA. So the specific antibody there. Uh, there is a more invasive approach where they can do a biopsy of your small intestine. Uh, I know there's been people in my family that kind of went through all this. Uh, and if you have a positive blood test, then they'll follow up with, with the actual biopsy you know, of your intestines. Anyway, apparently there's a new method uh, developed at the University of Helsinki by Klaus Hedman. Uh, so those of you out there who suspect you might have real celiac disease or gluten-sensitive enteropathy, uh, there are new tests. Apparently provides results in just 30 minutes and doesn't require trained technicians or lab instruments to generate the readout. Interesting. Um, so it's the FRET technique. Forster Resonance Energy Transfer. Apparently, it detects energy transfer between two light-sensitive molecules. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but it, it's interesting. I wonder if this is something that then becomes like a straight-to-consumer test because it says no, no lab tech or in, lab instruments. I wonder. Anyway, so hmm. advances, if you're interested in that or you have lots of um, you know, bowel symptoms and that sort of thing uh, – they never did answer. Can I eat the donut, though? I guess, I guess you yeah. you got to take one of these tests, and then you'll say, "Now I can eat the donut." I don't know. So it's just one of those ongoing specialty diets that we give so much attention to. Okay, um, that's that's all I've got for um, listener comments and and mail. I have one other news item too. Oh yeah, let's do it. Uh, shameless self promotion. I'll be in uh, Brisbane, Australia in february and then february 15th and february 16th i'll be teaching rpr level one and two reflexive performance reset for the first time anyone's ever taught it in australia actually so february 15th and 16th in brisbane australia at anytime fitness you can just go to the reflexiveperformance.com website and you'll be able to find it and hope to see you there Sweet. Yeah. You'd be booking yeah. the flight like now so you could get it, you know, it'd get too expensive if you wait like three days before and try to fly to Australia. Oh, yeah. I you actually know. ended up booking the flight several months ago. But uh, yeah. And then I did upgrade to an exit seat, which I'm like, if, yeah, it was 140 bucks extra. But oh, man, 13 and a half hour flight, like our five i'm like why am i such a cheap bastard i'm crammed in this seat i oh, hate yeah. my life so oh yeah when i flew to thailand i felt like that i'm like oh my god i've been in the air for like 20 hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's crazy anyway. yeah. well, that's just from lax you got to get to lax first so yeah right right on um can you just quickly define what that is uh what you'll be teaching yeah, so reflexive performance reset is a way of doing um, kind of activation techniques for muscles to get muscles to work better. The nice part is that you can do it on yourself. So we have uh, some massage therapists that are coming to the course, but you don't necessarily have to be a massage therapist. It's primarily geared towards trainers and coaches. So you can walk them through like in a group setting, like if you would do mobility drills, you can show them how to do these. And then we show you specific testing of how to determine which ones to start with, and then how to determine if it's working correctly or not. 
And then in level two, we do get into some stuff related to how your eyes take in information. So if you have a lot of um, clients that are like out of rehab or post TBI, head concussion, uh, sports, that type of thing, uh, it's super useful for that too because a lot of times the the eyes can kind of sort of get rewired, so to speak, and changing that makes a huge difference for a lot of athletes. Yeah, and, and you know, deep reaching um... – my wife has been telling me about a lot of the different like eye techniques that they're doing for people with yeah. like, post-traumatic EPR. stress. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy because there's a quick story on that is that anyone I've seen who's had pretty, you know, head trauma in the past or PTSD, like they've done a lot of other therapies and nothing really seems to work. And then they see either, you know, a clinical neurologist or someone who looks at uh, eye function once they kind of get that cleared up, like all of a sudden everything else starts starts working again. Mm-hmm. So it's something even to keep in mind if people are uh, not familiar or not done the training. Is on my little history list I have, you know, have you ever been knocked out? You know, do you had a TBI? Things of that nature, because that's usually a flag that yeah, some stuff may not be working so well. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get them to cue and they don't seem to take the cues as well as other athletes, usually there, there's something going on there. Right on. And everybody, I mean, I know you're used to no BS. We're not trying to make an ad out of this, right? <laughs> the, yeah, the, yeah. The point is, yeah, the nervous system is complex, and I really have a lot of appreciation for the idea that it's not just efferent. Like, you're not just m- no. using motor neurons to drive movement. There's a feedback. There's an afferent portion of this, and oftentimes they feed off each other in all kinds of interesting ways. So, okay. Uh, Phil, you mentioned something about Facebook. There was a question. Um, last name's Peterson. This may be a silly question, but I'll ask anyways out of my curiosity. Um, is there a benefit to eating a coffee or espresso bean over just brewing a cup of coffee or espresso? I have to see chocolate covered coffee or espresso bean in my local grocery store. Didn't know if I got any additional benefits consuming the entire bean. Thanks and keep up the great work. Cool. Well, uh, obviously you're going to get everything that's in the bean if you chew it up and swallow it. You know, um, the, the difference between hot brew and cold brew is because it will extract different, you know, water soluble phytochemicals uh, at different rates and in different amounts. You know, whether the water's hot versus cold. Uh, if you're not familiar with cold brew, it's more like you know, it's almost like soaking oatmeal overnight kind of idea, where you're just steeping all those grounds. And some people will say it's smoother, different acidity, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I like uh, like something like chocolate covered espresso beans, you know, munch them up. Um, because of course you're just going to get the almost, well, the totality of what's in that bean. Um, so yeah, I would think that a a handful of those (laughs) before you work out, that would be helpful. Probably, you know, you're going to get all those antioxidants and things like that. Uh, I'm actually not aware of what traditional hot drip or pour over, might do to some of the antioxidant benefits and that sort of thing. But typically the chlorogenic acid, the caffeic acid, which is sort of um, related to chlorogenic acid, a lot of these things that help blood sugar, antioxidant effects, stuff like that, they obviously come out in the pot, right? Um, They're very rich in green coffees, uh, that sort of thing. So the degree of roasting is going to affect what's in those those beans you have too. I, I don't know if the chocolate-covered kind or the ones you just eat the beans, if they just roast the bejesus out of those so you, they're nice and crunchy. I'm not sure exactly how that works though. But um, 
yes, the short answer is you're you're going to get a lot a lot of good stuff from eating the the bean too. So, do you know about caffeine content on that, Lonnie? In terms of the the bean, since it isn't exposed to hot water. Actually, I have not. Um, I was curious about that because everyone says they're super high in caffeine, and I haven't really looked it up or been able to find anything that's looked at it if you're just eating the raw kind of coffee bean. Right. Uh, yeah, I haven't done any work where I've fed people just straight coffee beans, right, of course. but Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, gum, caffeine gum, yep, coffee, yep, energy yep. drinks, yep, you know, but yep. um, not as many people will actually eat it, but that's why that's an interesting novel question, I guess. But um, Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that it is interesting. Um, like I said, I know that if they roast the bejesus out of the beans to make them uh, crunchy and edible, then that would probably reduce the caffeine content a bit. Yeah. Know, but uh, I'll have to look that up. Uh, okay, well, that's about it for the uh, brief mail and news. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, challenges we had at age 20 versus now. So we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it, do it now! Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go.
like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's uh, Phil, and it's Mike, and it's Lonnie, and we're going to talk about the challenges we had when we were 20. You know, our desires, our main challenges as far as strength and muscle sports versus now, essentially, as middle-aged guys, sort of approaching late middle age, really. Um, So, Phil, what about you? What was the 20-year-old Phil faced with, you know, struggling with, you were trying to uh, overcome? I think the biggest difference for me at the 20-year-old age versus now would be at 20, I was trying to, I was trying to lose a bunch of weight and get leaner. Interesting. And stronger and this and that. And now at my age, I'm trying to hold on to as much weight as I can and, <laughs> not, and not get smaller. So not exactly. I'm not in that stage now where I'm getting considerably bigger, but it's like I'm trying to ward off losing as much as I possibly can. So yeah. that would be the biggest difference. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was over fat at 20 and uh, dropped, I dropped like 100 and some pounds. So. Right. And now, no, I don't want to do that. So that's the biggest difference. Yeah. Now, I remember Fortress once saying, and he was middle-aged when we were having this conversation, but he's like, I don't know if I can stay motivated if I can't literally make gains, like, you know, like toward a yeah. PR. So how do you stay motivated if you're just trying not to get worse? <laughs> how do you stay motivated? Well, I'm still creeping up is the good thing. Okay. So mm-hmm. I've had to do major adjustments in my training. I don't train as much. I found out that as I get older, I can train just as hard, but I can't train nearly as often. But also due to my years of training, I don't think I need as much yeah. because I have such a base built. I can simplify my training a lot more um, and do the main lifts and slowly creep up So and do very targeted assistance work. Like, oh, okay, I better do a little bit of that. But, I mean, most of my time is spent is spent on my main lifts. And I know all that base is there, and then I'll do one or two little things. Uh, so, yeah, it was just learning the balance there as I get older. Like, I don't train hard four days a week. I used to train very hard four days a week. Now I train hard one or two days a week, and then a couple days of really light stuff. So, and mm-hmm. But I'm not crushing. The days of 75-pound PRs are gone. Now it's like, hey, sweet, <laughs> sweet. I trained for six months, and I gained five pounds. On yeah. an all-time PR. But, I mean, when you're talking, those PRs are in the 700 pounds range. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> you know? So it's easy to go from 315 to 405. It's hard to go from 7 or 675 to 765. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm luckily not going backwards yet. But I know those days are coming, so I'm trying to fight that good fight now. Uh to where it is. I mean, that's what me and Windler have talked about it a lot. It's, it's it's hard to reach that age where you realize that you're 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 busting your ass not to go backwards so fast. Yes. So luckily, I haven't totally reached that yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not as lean as I was, and I don't think I ever will be. Like at two sixty, 
when I was even 30, I was a leaner 260 than I am now. And there's not a lot I can do about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just I'm old. So, and but I'm okay with that, you know. So, right. Yeah, glucose tolerance, g- growth hormone concentration, so many things just oh. start to ebb a little. I think there's honor in what you're saying, though, like that old whole Tolkien, you know, fight the long defeat. W- will yeah. Father Time beat you? Yeah, he's going to beat you in the power meet of life, <laughs> right? Yeah, but, but I mean, what else are you going to do? Right. Just give up and go down really fast? No, right. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, okay. It's honorable. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, so... Mike, what about you? When you were 20, uh, you know, strength and muscle sport kind of goals, were you so academic? You know, what what was the story then as far as your challenges? Uh, so 20, I had just been officially lifting for only three years. I look back at my records. I was just got close to almost not quite. I was like about 175 which I'm 6'3", um, but I started at 156 pounds, like, in college. This is after puberty and growth spurts and <laughs> right. everything else. So it's interesting, just looking back at notes and stuff, too. I was still you know, lifting where I was doing my undergrad. And, ah, I mean, other than bench press, I didn't really do any deadlifts or squats at that point. I tried doing both of them, and they hurt so bad. I'm just like, this is a stupid exercise, and... Part of that was probably my structure. I'm sure part of it is I was just an idiot and didn't know what I was doing either. So I think just trying to figure out what to do for lifting. And it was probably later that spring that I read some stuff. Actually, I think it was from John Berardi and setting my watch to eat every two to three hours. So I had just started doing that process, which helped a lot. And yeah, I mean, looking back now, it's like, oh, if I were to kind of change stuff, I realized at the time I didn't know I had so many uh, eye issues and scoliosis and all that other kind of stuff that would, hmm, adding a heavier-ish for you weight on the end of a twisted axial spine and not knowing what you're doing is is not a good recipe for stuff to end well. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of, it seems obvious now, but kind of looking back, you're like, oh, wow, I was, I was still doing three years in all a whole bunch of stupid stuff. Right. You know, that's a good point when Phil was talking about base, uh, your point about our knowledge base was so poor then, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, that's the other – that was a bit of a challenge for all of us that, you know, you're you're still learning stuff. Not only are you making 75-pound jumps in your lifts just because you're starting from almost square zero, but, yeah, I mean, you're learning stuff. I mean, knowledge is power, and sometimes I think we forget about that. It's not just the physical base that can, you know, keep you bigger now that we've all grown bigger, but it's – our knowledge base is is much larger, and that's got to help too. I mean, not applied knowledge is power, you know, and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I never had a seventy five pound jump. I didn't really have much of a jump in anything. <laughs> Looking back, everything was kind of very slowly, non linear, slow movements overall. But mm-hmm. you know, do something long enough, you get a little bit better at some things. Right. What, now, obviously, you're much bigger than 170 pounds or whatever. So, I, did it come very slow and linear, or did you make this in jumps and plateaus? You know, uh, it was like ridiculously slow. Like for me to get over 185 took quite a while. So it took another two years, I think. And then after that, to get across 200 took about another two years from there. 
Um, so that was kind of a, I'd say it was, everything was pretty slow. And then if I look back at my notes, I'd have periods of time where I would be injured. So everything would kind of go backwards for, for a while and then stuff would go forwards. And I wasn't in, if I'm really honest, probably until maybe seven or eight years ago, I felt like I actually, at least for my body and my structure had kind of figured out what works. And the paradoxical thing about that was I just stopped trying to force myself into symmetric lifts. Like doing a Jefferson deadlift worked way better for me than doing a standard deadlift even. And even at that point, I could, you know, deadlift over 400. Um, so I think that was for me the biggest change was that I tell clients if if I go out with my little jet and I bend the, the left front suspension arm and it drives crooked, I can take the steering wheel and I can kind of turn the opposite direction. I can make the car go straight. Compensate, but I'm yeah. probably Yeah, I'm probably causing a lot of undue damage. Even though if you look at the car, you're like, well, I don't know, it's going straight. Um, but then to change it, I'm probably only going to change the left front suspension arm. Right? So per, you know, doing a lot of unilateral work only on one side, for me, made a huge difference. That's probably because I'm very asymmetric. So I remember doing Turkish get-ups only on my left side for literally two and a half years. Interesting. Never once did them on my right side. And I just thought one day, I'm like, oh, I'll test and see where my right side is. I thought it was going to be just like stupid weak. Nah, it was right where it was before. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I hadn't really gotten backwards, but I felt a lot better too. So Right, yeah, I hear you. Uh, Phil, what about you? I mean, you were trying to get very lean and I guess make your body weight lower. What were Was the power lifting and the strength super important then? And I mean, and from that low, no. from that low in body weight, did you do it slow and steady or make big jumps? At 20 years old, no, I wasn't into the powerlifting thing yet. Um, this was just, God, I was more into the bodybuilding type thing without stepping on stage type of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the body or the powerlifting came later, probably, ah, God, I got serious about powerlifting in my late 20s. Okay. So 28. Um, so I started dabbling in my mid 20s. And then uh, got serious about 28, and then it's been all downhill from there. So okay. I really started gaining weight at about 28. Okay. So right. from from 28 to 30, I probably went up 40 pounds. Ooh. Oh, wow. Nice. So, Very nice. And then it's been slow since then. The last 13 years has been going from 242 to 275. So Okay, right. Uh, that type of thing. Yeah. It's funny to hear the similarities and differences with you guys. Like, the, in many ways, I was opposite to you, Phil. That I was when I was twenty, I was hell bent, like calling from God Almighty to take up more space. <laughs> like that, <laughs> right? I weight gain by every means imaginable. I would do, and we've all lived through this brutal, asinine six day a week, mm-hmm. two hour workouts, oh, negatives, yeah. Yeah. supersets, exhaustive yeah. things. Um, as far as similarities, much like you, Mike, like I graduated high school at 155, right? Um, by the time I was 20, I was 175. I made a 20-pound jump because I stopped doing 1,500 different things, you know? So <laughs> I got out of my negative energy balance. I, I stopped doing competitive taekwondo uh, and, you know, the track and the pole vaulting and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just lifted. And that was a pretty big jump early like we'll say you know early college years uh 
up to about 175. And then after that, it was slow. So in that way, it's similar to Phil, I guess, because once I was about 175, now I'm getting more serious, right? Because at age 20, I already been lifting for seven years, but I was a dumb little kid. You know what I mean? And so I'd say about when I was 20-ish, uh, way in 175, I had just made that big jump just by correcting the energy balance. But yeah, then it was a slow, steady climb up to almost 230. Uh, so that was like through my grad school years and even, you know, early career professor years, you know, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it is funny to think about that stuff. Whereas now my, my biggest problem is really my joints. You know, my, my mom's got really serious arthritis and I, I can see it in my hands a little bit and, and stuff like that. And um, when it comes to handling a load, it's funny how when your joints don't work, it shuts you down. You can't just suck it up. It's not the same thing as oh, having yeah. a mild irritation injury. There is a neurological inhibition. And I'm like, Jesus. But I'm also asking myself hard questions like, this was a probably, mm, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I thought, why am I trying to squat 405 anymore? Like, I'm not going to compete again. I'm not a, I never was a power lifter. So what am I doing? You know, because this is wrecking my back. Um, so, you know, y- you do come to grips with a lot of this stuff. But uh, like Phil, you know, you got the artificial hip, uh, or I've got I could focus on different goals. Like sometimes I'm wondering, even though it's a good point, Phil, about like you you work twice as hard just not to <laughs> regress. But at the same time, yeah, I, maybe there's a goal in there somewhere where I can just uh, diet really strict and just get lean as hell for a 50 year old man. You know that might be fun. Um, yeah. or at least be a challenge. I don't know how fun, harsh dieting is, <laughs> uh, but I, I already feel that like, there's no doubt. Like I have to do two a day cardio if I'm going to get leaner in addition to what I'm doing with the diet for the most part. And it, that seems preposterous to me. Like Jesus, like, you know, 90 minutes, two hours a day of cardio in addition to some weights and a strict diet just to get lean. Yeah. But I, when I say lean, I mean lean, um, but yeah, I guess so. Maybe that's the harsh reality of it. I think a lot of people who want to get lean, especially when they're middle age years, they don't realize the the sheer amount of effort, of dedicated time you have to put in. Um, it's not like watching a Hollywood person. They've got a lot of support. You know, They've got the luxury chef and they live in the house personal trainer and all this stuff. They don't have a nine to five job. There are, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying you know, these are other realities. And yeah, you have to dedicate a huge amount of time to do something like get lean. But I just thought getting lean is one of the things that I can still do despite my joints being in pretty rough shape. I mean, I've got over 35 years of fairly heavy, you know, even stupid workouts on these joints. So yeah, like where do you go? I think everybody needs to almost assess at some point what's going to motivate me, even if it is fight the long defeat, I suppose. Yeah. Do you find like body composition, you spend more time thinking about are you ever, at least for myself, like the highest I ever got to was 245, which was the end of grad school. And you know, I was pretty fat <laughs> and my sleep was a mess. You know, life was just, a, you know, I kind of destroyed myself in the process. But, um, you know, so now I'm like 222, which I came down on purpose. Uh, but even then, like the older I get, I'm starting to wonder if this may actually be like the the highest I go up that I may 
end up settling down closer to just a little bit over 200 just for better body composition reasons, especially as you mentioned, Lonnie, getting older and things of that nature. But do you guys ever wonder if you're, as you get older, you're going to stay more on the leaner side and your, you know, odds of trying to gain mass at all costs are just kind of gone by the wayside? Yes. Yes, definitely. Especially after your last I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I've come to the realization I will never be 300 pounds. I, it's just not going to happen. It's yeah. not car. Well, I was there once in my 20s, yeah. but uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's not happening again. Like, that's the other thing that's different from now. Like, in my 20s and 30s, I could eat whatever the hell I wanted, and I felt fine relatively. Now it's like, pff, my digestion goes to shit. Everything goes bad. <laughs> Literally. So uh, it's yep. just bad. Yeah, so I know. And well, and just yeah. I mean, you get in your forties and you start thinking, man, I want to stick around on this rock for a few more years. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. In your twenties, you're like, wow, oh, nothing's gonna <laughs> kill. Me. You know, yeah. I can't die. And if I do, who cares? <laughs> you know, it's it is sort of mindset, isn't? It? Like when I was twenty, I would have been hell bent. I would have tried any legal anabolic i could get my hands on or you know even fascinated with gray area thing anything that you can kind of think about and now my interest in anything like that would be more from a longevity mindset right or like a a health like hormone replacement therapy is interesting but not so i can just use it to put on as much weight as possible but just so i don't fall apart like it's for the intended purpose you know kind of thing um but getting used to uh, – it's the comfort level with downsizing that's been hard for me. Phil, you're, you've done that some, but not a ton, right? Yeah. But, I, I mean, I'm walking around at 200 pounds, a, a not ripped 200 pounds, and I used to be 230. Now, don't get me wrong. I was pretty sloppy, like Mike's point about when he was, what, 249 or whatever it was. But, yeah. um, but I am having to get comfortable with this. Like, I, I, I put on um, – they're athlete cut jeans, but there's no way I could. Most of my life, I couldn't wear jeans. I'd have to get Levi's silver tab baggies, if anybody remembers those. <laughs> like, it's the only thing I was going to get on my yeah. legs. I had almost 28 inch thighs, you know, and I mean, for me, I'm only 5'9, so that's, that was kind of a lot Big. to find jeans to go over that. And now, no, not that's just not the case anymore. You know, it, it, it is an adjustment. We actually, uh, Kelly, my wife, was on years ago talking about. That's got that's a big challenge for a lot of athletes, right? When you're no longer squatting 700, 800 pounds, or you're no longer, you know, you you no longer have 19 inch arms. How do you come to grips with that? You know, there's a documentary about Dorian Yates floating around Amazon right now, and obviously he's much smaller. You know, uh, some people really fall apart badly, some less so. Like you know, when they're no longer an enhanced pro. But that's for that's got to be a real challenge. That becomes your sort of salient identity, you know. And then you have sure. to you got to focus on other stuff, I guess. For sure. And for me, I mean, it has come fairly easy. I just came to the realization that I'm just happy to still be able to get on the platform and do a meet. Yeah. And that's okay. Like I'm stoked with if I go out and just do it and don't get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Because because when I when I'm done and I look around, there's maybe. At a big meet, uh, I'm I'm in the old guard. You know, there's maybe one or two people my age or older, mm-hmm. and most of them aren't putting up numbers near what I am. You know? Yeah. So it's like I'm I'm not beating these twenty year olds. It's not going to happen. Those are that's out of the cards. Yeah. Most of them, not the good ones. You know, I'm still beating a lot of them. 
but because of injury uh, i mean you know let's yeah, face it it's, it's not just, it's not just muscle strength but yeah, yeah. Y- you can't compete at some point because you're going to rip something loose you know yeah and it's just so i'm just happy to still be out there and if i can keep doing this for as long as i can i i can see myself being happy with just being able to do it and you know I'm okay with not doing what I was able to do before. As long as I go out there and give it my all and, you know, I have good training cycle and I know I didn't just half-ass it. Yeah. Yeah. But I really, and this is one thing that I got onto early. I don't live for the meat. I love the training. The training means more to me. I love it every week. Like I love that I'm going in there here in an hour and I'm going to squat and have a good time. Yeah. So... That's a good point. It does become the training for the most part. I love bodybuilding. I will always do it. I am a lifer. There's no two ways yeah. about that. Am I going to get on opposing days? No. Uh, I think there's some differences there because at some point, just aesthetically, I'm just not going to be where I want to be <laughs> next decade yeah. as far as, you know, nobody wants to see that, in my opinion, at least for me. For me. Uh, I admire the guys that are in their 50s and 60s and still compete in bodybuilding, but um, let's face it, when you're, for the most part, if you're not using growth hormone, a lot of other things, you're not going to be 55 years old and handing 25 year olds their ass on a, on a plate for uh, skin quality reasons, stuff like that. You know, there's just yeah. realities, but for you, Phil, yeah, I imagine it's, it's the joints holding up and the tendons holding up, uh, yeah. it, but you still get to compete, which is exciting. <laughs> That's exciting. Yep. You know, okay. yep. I think a lot of it is a kind of a risk reward type thing too. Because I've realized over the past, well, probably even especially last three to five years, I've probably become very conservative in the gym just because to me, for my values where I'm at in a controlled environment when I'm the idiot doing it, like I have a very low tolerance to injury. And I know like freak stuff happens and you can't always prevent it and that sort of thing. But if it's from me being an idiot, I'd hopefully like to <laughs> try to prevent that. Uh, yeah. um, but I'll, you know go out and kiteboard and try to jump 20 feet in the air. And there's a lot of bad shit that could happen with that too. Well, yeah, I'm okay with that risk because I've done whatever I can to mitigate it. And that's what I like. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of accepted that where certain areas, like I won't inner tube behind a boat because I know what happens. A driver gets bored and let's see, let's fling this guy off the inner tube. I just don't want to be injured because of, I put myself in a situation that was out of my control. Oh, if I yeah. injure myself under my control, then I'm kind of okay with it mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's simple. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten much smarter about training. <laughs> That's part of age, too. But I know yeah. when to back off more. And, like, uh, that next set isn't worth it. Yeah, it's just in not the long worth run. Risk. Yeah. It's not worth it. Mean, and there's simple things. Like, we got, like, a four-foot wall at my gym. And all the kids just jump down it and go to the bottom area. It's like, nah, I'm walking around. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with me. Like, okay, I could do it. But let's say I do it 10 times. One of those, there's a good chance that something's going to, oh, yes. God. Right. Know, it's not worth it. You know? That's it's right. Like, I'm old and beat up. You know, I'll walk around. You guys go the short Yeah, way. it's just not that important. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, I, I so. totally get it. Yeah, I think that's sort of the di- one of the differences as you get older, too. I mean, I imagine we will never know how many times we didn't have a blowout because we're like, nope, I'm done today. And you turned and you had yeah. the maturity to walk away. Not laziness. You guys know what I'm talking about. Nope. Oh, I'm yeah. not. Something feels off in my back, my hamstring, whatever. Nope. And then, like I said, we probably have avoided numerous tears or you know joint problems because, yeah, you learn the, 
that unspoken difference, that nuance, like, mm, eh, not today. You know? Yep. Anyway. Okay. Well, I guess that's sort of the, the crusty old guys. <laughs> we devolved into that. But <laughs> we have young guys that listen to the show, and then they can – they can hear what we went through when we were 20, what we were thinking, yep. you know, from different perspectives, and then they could compare themselves. And then we have some middle-aged people, too, and they're probably laughing, oh, yeah, I feel you, bro, you know, uh, and maybe trying to keep some kind of positive mindset as you move forward, too. There's always some kind of goal that you can pick out and, and get after, even if it's drifting more into the coaching, teaching aspect, or and then still deciding what you can do physically yourself, you know, so. Yeah. And I think having goals that you want to achieve, even that are longer. And one thing I've also realized is the older I've gotten, my timeline for goals has gotten a lot longer. So for example, to lift the Denny stones, I gave myself 12 years, right? So my goal now is to do it by the time I'm 50. So I got five more years yet. Um, where when I was 23, it's like, I, I just want to bench 135 so they don't laugh at me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But I thought I'd be able to do that in a couple of weeks and it ended up taking two years. You know, you, you get, I think, more realistic with what are actual timelines, and I think that's helpful because, it, like you said, with risk, you don't feel like you have to force that last rep. You're like, okay, I still have time. I don't want the goals to completely get away and get so far away that I'm not focused on them anymore, mm-hmm. but it's not like I need to get them done next month either. You're more realistic with how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. To me, it's it's in some ways, it's like the Sun Tzu, you know, only choose ba- battles you've already won. And there yeah. are certain battles when you're 50, um, you're not going to win those, you know, like when it comes mm-hmm. to like a joint health or something like that. You've already enjoyed decades. I have, I've had a freaking blast lifting heavy and even kind of stupid you know throughout my life i don't i don't regret any of that stuff so at the same time yeah i want to choose goals that i can i know as a physiologist i can win right and so that's important well and that's like a lot of it for me is like i'm more (sighs) i'm choosy on when i uncork the bottle Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. It's still there. Like, you know, I'll be in there with the young guys training, and there'll be days where it's like, okay, here it comes. And I'll turn it <laughs> on. And they're like, holy shit. So you know? And, yeah, they're like, okay, the old guy can still do it. But then I back up. And then I'll back off for a, two months. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, it's like something, a wild hair would come out there. And, but I'll, it's very, it's very chosen. Like I know I'm feeling good and this and that. It's just not. It's not willy nilly, and I'm, I'm. I'm always. I'm calculating the risk versus reward. The price. Like, okay, today, yeah. today's feeling good. I can do this, you know. And it's like here we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this years ago, but I had a, um, an older strength coach come talk to my strength conditioning class years ago, and um, afterwards, I think it was one of the one of the kids said. Oh my God, those old guys will kick your ass. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, they will. What you, and what I didn't say to him is, and what they wouldn't say to most people is, they're going to pay a price after they beat your ass for a while. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're going to they're limp around for a while. <laughs> yeah. So capable, yeah. yes, but pay a price. You know, it's one of those yes. lessons of age, I think. But it, it does have, give you some pride that at least you can still tear it up. You just oh, have yeah. to be very cautious where you're going to do that. Exactly. You know, yeah. Exactly. We can still do it just as hard as ever, maybe harder, just not near as often. So the frame won't have it. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys, and thanks everybody for listening to our uh, rants about when we were young and now not so young. So we'll, I guess, see you next time. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Thanks a lot. 
Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, knee sleeves. Wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.